Let's all pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you to open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your word. Open our minds to understand and accept the truth of your word and stimulate our wills to apply your word in our lives. Amen. Taking the time to reflect on what we have become when we become Christians, that is, when we believed in Jesus, it's a profitable profitable thing for us to do. Taking the time to think about these things will help us in and through the dark and troublesome times by making us focus our thoughts on God and what he has done and what he is doing for us and not on our circumstances so we are encouraged and equipped to persevere. The Apostle Paul reminds us we are God's children. And he goes further and says, and we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And he continues, And what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now in all these things, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's good to be encouraged by that. But thinking about what we have become does more than encourage us. It challenges us. It challenges us about our thoughts and our speech. Scripture says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. It challenges us about our goals and our ambitions. We're encouraged. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And thinking about what we have, uh, what we have become, challenges us about the way we live. Paul writes, I urge you, to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Some time ago, I brought to your attention one of the many descriptors used to teach us about our position as a Christian. Paul writes in Philippians 3, verse 20, Our citizenship is in heaven. Now this word that's translated as citizenship is a challenging and confronting word. 
It means a group of people living outside their native country and living according to the laws, the principles, the philosophies of their native land and not according to the laws, the principles, the philosophies of the country in which they are living. So for Christians, according to the scriptures, our native country is now heaven. And in his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus describes us as being of the world, but not, sorry, that we are in the world, but we are not of it. He says in his prayer, for they, referring to his disciples and to us, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. And my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. He wants us here in the world, but not to be of it. Now that has a tremendous outworking for us. God expects us and requires of us that we live as citizens of heaven here on earth. What a challenge. Now following his declaration that we are citizens of heaven, the Apostle Paul gives us a short list, only eight items, so it's not exhaustive of how this works out in practice. How we live as, or how we are expected to live as citizens of heaven while here on earth. He says, stand firm in the Lord. He says, get along with each other, no bickering. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Let your reasonableness be known to everybody. Don't be anxious about anything. Only think about those things that are good and right and pure. Practice Paul's teaching and example. And support Christian ministry at home and overseas. Eight things. Look them up. We're not going to consider all of them. We've already done some. And today we're going to consider the fourth on this list. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. I was going to skip over this verse. But then I said, no, I'll see what it means. So I started reading what it meant. And as I did that, my reaction was, ouch, that hurts. I knew I wasn't measuring up. And so I determined that we have to consider it. And as I read, I discovered three things principally. And that's what I want us to think about today. Firstly, it's not easy to live as citizens of heaven because God wants us to behave in a way that doesn't come naturally to fallen man. And secondly, God wants us to lift our sights higher above what people usually consider and start to develop his way of thinking. And thirdly, God gives us a reason to strive to live the way he wants us to. It's not easy. Why? It goes against the grain. When we understand what we have been instructed to do, 
we may have a similar reaction to that of Festus. Remember when Paul was standing up giving his defence before Festus? Festus screams out at him, You're out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. And when you hear what I've got to say, you might say, Keith, you dingbats. You're out of your mind. Forget it. Why this reaction? Well, because the word of God is living and active. And it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And it pierces as far as the division of spirit and soul. It gets in. It cuts you to the quick. It judges our thoughts and our, our intentions. It puts us under the microscope. And sometimes we see things we don't like. We don't want to accept. And that happened to me as I read this. Paul says, let your reasonableness, which is the word used in the ESV, which we were using, or if you use the NIV, it says gentleness. Let your reasonableness be evident or experienced by everyone. Now this word that's translated as gentleness or reasonableness has has the meaning of reasonableness or goodwill or moderation or magnanimity or friendliness or forbearance. And it's the opposite of what we normally think as being normal human reaction, claiming your rights, seeking your own benefit and not being obliging towards others. A couple of commentators go further. And they say the meaning, meaningless, oh sorry, the meaning is of fair-mindedness, the attitude of a man who is charitable towards man's faults because he takes the whole situation into reckoning. He continues, perhaps graciousness is the best English equivalent. And in the context here, it is to be the spirit of willingness to yield under trial which will show itself in a refusal to retaliate when attacked. You can see why I said, ouch, can't you? It goes against the grain. John Calvin writes, he says, carnal sense, our normal human everyday reaction, rises up in opposition to these thoughts. Right? He would say, Keith, you're a dingbat. He says, for the rage of the wicked is the more inflamed in proportion to our mildness. And the more they see us prepared for enduring, are the more emboldened to inflict injuries. Hence, he writes of Proverbs, he says, we must howl when among wolves. And those who act like sheep will quickly be devoured by wolves. Hence, he says, we declare that the ferocity of the wicked must be repressed by corresponding violence, that they may not insult us with impunity. Isn't that the way of thinking of normal 
natural, fallen human beings. It's what comes naturally to us. If people snarl at us, we want to snarl back. If they're idiots on the road toward us, we want to strike back too, don't we? I remember as a young fellow, I had a brand new car. It was only a week or so old. And uh, back in the good old days when you were supposed to give way to the bloke on the right, I was going to church this Sunday night and had to drive out through the traffic on the main road. And when a break in the traffic occurred, I out, and this bloke on my left, he just came up and clipped the front of my car. I was not a happy chappy. I chased him up the road. I caught him up. I pulled him over. And thankfully he didn't say anything. Because I was so angry if he had said something, I would have hit him. But he didn't say anything. It's normal. Well, I'm saying it's normal. I think maybe you agree with me. It's normal human reaction, isn't it? To retaliate. It's what comes naturally to us. What I'm suggesting to you today is this, that God wants us to rise above the ways, the reactions of fallen mankind. Hence the instruction, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. He wants us to lift our sights higher. And he's been doing this all the way through history. He wants us to lift our sights higher to get to where he's coming from, to start thinking like he does. And we see this in the Old Testament. Just one example. Remember when Samuel was told to go and anoint one of Jesse's sons to be king? He looks at Jesse's older son, oh, wow, he's tall, good-looking, a great soldier. He said, surely this is the one. And God says, ah, you're looking at the outside, Samuel. I'm looking at his heart. That's my paraphrase. I'll read what it says in the scriptures. Do not look at his uh, his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God does not see as a man does since man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. He considers what we're really like, not what we appear to be. And in the New Testament, I don't think we can go past what Jesus has to say, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount. He challenges everyone who hears it to start thinking about issues in life, God's ways, all the way through from Matthew 5, 6, 7. You read it, take the time to Savo. read it. And you will see that Jesus is challenging each and every one of us to forget about human thinking and look at things God's way. One example in that, you'll you'll read it many times in there where he says, you have heard it said, 
But then he goes on, but I say to you, right, you have heard it said, love your friends, love your neighbours, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for them, pray for those who oppose you. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have broken this commandment. All the way through. He challenges us to rise above normal human thinking and look at things God's way because why? As we read in our call to worship, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are more lofty than our thoughts. Now think about why God uses certain words. Today we've looked at two words that make us lift our eyes above what humans normally think of. He uses the word citizenship. Right, That word in the Greek, as I said, is a group of people who come from country A. They're now living in country B, but they're living according to the laws the philosophies, the ideals, the principles of country A. That's how he wants us to live on earth because we belong in heaven. But we're living here in country B on earth. And he says to us, people live the way you would in heaven. That's a challenge, isn't it? He wants us to think about it his way. He wants us to think about ourselves his way. So he uses this word reasonableness that we talked about the definition before, what it means and what it's the opposite of. And so he challenges us. People think about things my way. Jesus challenges us. He commands us. He said, You've heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I say to you, do not show opposition against an evil person. It goes against the grain, doesn't it? And whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other toward him. And if anyone sues you and takes your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And Peter gives us an instruction. He sets before us Jesus' example. He says, "For to, uh, to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Are you thinking, Keith, you're nuts? Goes against the grain. Goes against what we naturally want to do. But that's the way God wants us to think and to act, to follow in Jesus' footsteps. And he gives us encouragement to do so. He says, let your reasonableness be experienced by all. 
Next sentence, the Lord is near. As Calvin says, because our Lord is prepared to give help to his own people. As we read in our first scripture reading, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And he continues, talking about his power, he said his power can overcome, (coughs) oh, pardon me, those who would oppose us, those who would put us down. He said his power and his goodness can conquer their malice. He promises that he will aid us, provided we obey his commandments. And I love this sentence. He said, who would not rather be protected by the hand of God alone than have all the resources of the world at his command? Isn't that encouragement? It's encouragement to lift our thoughts higher. It's encouragement to try to put into practice what we're taught. Who would not rather be protected by the hand of God alone than have all the resources of the world at his command? Okay, so what? So what? Well, what about the goals that God has for us? I want to suggest to you that one of the goals that God has for us is to be conformed to the image of his son. That is, we are to become more and more like Jesus as we progress as Christians. It's given a fancy name in theology. Anybody know it? Starts with S. Sanctification. Never heard of that? It's that process whereby we are being changed into the people God wants us to become. And it's a process that we are expected to participate in. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, Paul struggled with it too. He said in Romans 7, Wretched man that I am! Right? All that good stuff I want to do, I don't do it. And all the rotten stuff I don't want to do, I do it. This process of becoming like Jesus is quite difficult at times. But we are expected to be doing it and we're expected to be working hard at following Jesus' example in how to live as a citizen of heaven. So as we begin each new year, either calendar year on the 1st of January or each time you have a birthday, we should be able to look back over the last year and be able to show how we have improved, how we are becoming more like Jesus. We should be able to look back over the last year and see how our reasonableness has been improving, 
that we don't get quite so cranky with people, that we don't want to hit somebody who hits your car, that we don't become upset or as upset, that we are working, we are progressing. That's what we should be able to do each and every anniversary. So I said before, as normal fallen human beings, when we're snarled at, what do we want to do? Snarl right back at them. When we're treated badly, what do we want to do? Retaliate, don't we? But the scriptures are saying to us, rise above these things. Lift your sights higher. What a challenge. Are you willing to say no to the ways of the world and to live as a citizen of heaven right here on earth? Drawing encouragement from the fact that the Lord is with us and relying on his enabling power to live up to our wonderful status of being citizens of heaven and let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word at times makes us say, ouch, because we see how far short we fall of the standards you want us to meet. You give us a challenge to rise above the ways of thinking, of acting, of normal human, of normal fallen human beings. But you don't just say do it. You are there to give us a hand, to enable us, to encourage us to become the sort of people you want us to be. So help us to live, lift our vision higher, to see things the way you want us to see them and to be the sort of people you want us to be. Citizens of heaven, living like that right now here on earth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.